Have you ever wondered if it's possible to live in sync with your cycle instead of against it? Do you struggle with a negative mindset around sex with your spouse? Are you wondering if it's possible to live a full, healthy life without using contraception? We're going to explore these questions and so many more in the Managing Your Fertility podcast because this is about helping you live a whole and full life. I'm your host and guide, Bridget Busacker, joining you in the journey of exploration related to women's healthcare, sex and intimacy in marriage, and everything related to fertility awareness. Are you ready? Let's get started. I am so glad you're on the journey with me. Hey, welcome back to the Managing Your Fertility podcast. I want to talk about mindset today, especially as it relates to sex. Uh, This has been a conversation that has come up a lot more for me personally and professionally in seeing a lot of conversations um, having to do with mindset in other arenas of life. I see it a lot coming up in motherhood, in business and entrepreneurship, um, and helping you understand how your brain works and the ways in which you can manage your thoughts and help to build better emotional regulation in your day-to-day life. I mean, it, it sounds so freeing to me when I started hearing more about this and started working on it myself because I realized the impact my thoughts have on my day-to-day life. And before I had assessed my thoughts and assessed what I was thinking and how it was impacting me, I really just lived life with these tracks running. You know, these were just phrases, thoughts that I had that they were, they were just a pathway I had created as a response to difficult situations or what I would say if I was frustrated with myself or, um, you know, what I was thinking when a certain situation kept repeating itself. And I didn't even realize that I could check the thought and replace it. At first, when I learned about this, and this was a couple years ago, I was like, this is crazy. This doesn't work. Um, And then I started to do the work myself and saw the impact. I was becoming more aware of what I was saying, what I was thinking. And I'm still working on it today. It is such a different way to think and a way to approach our thoughts to be able to pause and Um, you know, run through and kind of see, okay, what's going on? Like, how am I feeling? Why am I thinking this? Does this usually come up, Um, you know, regularly? Is this something that I just have running as a script um, when a certain situation happens? Um, I'll give you an example. When I make mistakes, I'm really hard on myself. And this is something that I'm working on and recognizing what do I say to myself when I make mistakes? What is the narrative or the script that is running? that I have ingrained for many years in my head um, about what I tell myself when I make a mistake. And as soon as I realized the, the negative f- scripts, phrases that I that I would say and the ways in which I would um, berate myself around making a mistake, I, I've been realizing how hard this is um, on myself and why it's so hard for me to try new things sometimes and to be willing to experience something when I have a fear of making mistakes and I have a narrative that runs through and I'm using narrative script interchangeably use whichever makes more sense to you resonates for you. Um, I like narrative. I also really like script. Um, when I realized that that script, that narrative was running through my head, I've, I've really am, am in the thick of processing this right now. You know, why is it that mistakes are so hard for me? Like, what is it that I'm saying? How can I rewire And what do I need to say to replace the thought that comes in? To recognize it, not ignore it, but to recognize this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm thinking. Is this actually true? Does this serve me? Does this thought make sense? Um, And a lot of times 
the thought doesn't serve me. It doesn't make sense. And it's not true. And so I think being able to identify the thoughts that we have and the ways in which we process and what we tell ourselves is so important. And I think the neuroplasticity of the brain, that is something I've also been learning the past couple of years is fascinating because our brains can learn new things all the time. We can change the way we think. We can change the patterns of our thinking. Um, we don't, it's not like, oh, this is just who I am and I can't do anything about it. We, we can't change. We don't know how to change. Um, we may not know how, but there are tools to be able to do that. And there's so much goodness in the ability to be able to change. And I think it's so much so speaks to the freedom of our faith in, in Jesus and that he is always calling us. And the scripture reminds us, um, he's making us new, right? He's coming and he makes all things new. He comes to us and he helps us so that we can experience freedom and change in our hearts. We're constantly being called on a path of conversion, which is continual change, right? Metanoia. We're being called to that constant conversion, that constant change of being refined, of becoming the person that we're meant to be. And um, I think just to see the goodness in this co bigger conversation that's happening around mindset and replacing um, old thoughts with new thoughts, you know, replacing negative thoughts with positive thoughts and how that changes our brain and it changes the wiring in our brains and it changes the way in which we interact and we see the world. It positively, you know, or negatively can impact our emotional regulation and how we experience things. So our thoughts are really powerful. And to see that, you know, we're, we're talking about this, we're learning more about it. We're having, you know, different, um, you know, ministries, organizations, therapists helping us to work on this. We see it and how beautifully it integrates with our faith that like, of course, this makes sense. Of course, this is possible. God made us this way. And this is true in our faith that we're called to conversion. We're called to change. And the possibility for change is always there. I think it's just so beautiful that there's integration here. It's not disintegrated. It's integrated. Um, so I think, you know, if you're looking for different resources, if you're thinking, wow, I really need help in managing my thoughts and in uh, assessing my thoughts. I have some great tools for you that I'll be sharing in the show notes. One of them is Metanoia Catholic. This is not a sponsored post. This is not a sponsored podcast. And in any way, um, I really love the work that they're doing. And I think the emphasis that they have on mindset and coaching and helping you understand as a whole person, how your thoughts can impact your life, your health, your well-being, your faith is so beautiful to see a, see Catholics doing this and navigating this because I think a lot of times in the entrepreneur space, I see um, different individuals doing this and it's great. What they're doing is great, um, but a lot of individuals don't come at it even with a Christian lens. And so it can be hard to make sense of how do I do this process of, of changing my thoughts and making sure that Christ is at the center of what I'm doing, that I'm inviting God into these new thoughts and into this new way of life and remembering that he is healer and restorer of all things good. So Metanoia Catholic does a great job of that. And I'm so, so happy that this organization exists. Like these are the moments when I'm like, wow, what a time to be alive, to be able to participate and experience these ministries and the yes that people are giving to be able to help us on our journey of healing and sainthood. So Metanoia Catholic has an incredible process that they walk you through. They have a journal, which um, my husband and I both purchased because we um, had a sample of the journal to, to test out and see if we liked it. And we both loved it. And it's a way of assessing your thoughts and bringing and inviting the Holy Spirit into the process. So you're doing very practical application of psychological tools, right? And understanding your brain and how it works and its um, 
It's not about berating yourself or being hard on yourself and thinking, oh, why do I think these things? Why do I do this? It's about approaching with holy curiosity and thinking, okay, what is it that's blocking this? And the amount of times David and I have used the journal and it has just created breakthrough in our thoughts, like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking this way. And then I would, I'll take it to therapy and, and talk about it even more. And, and it's just been the, it's been amazing because of the awareness and the opportunity of growth has just been mind blowing to me. So I want to recommend that tool if you're looking for a place to start in this. Um, and I also think it's from a, a place of awareness and curiosity, again, like approaching ourselves and our thoughts with that Holy curiosity saying, Holy spirit, come in and help me to see what, see myself as God sees me and to be able to assess our, our thoughts and our feelings, especially if we see patterns, like just being aware and starting out and seeing like, do I see patterns in the way I'm thinking? Do I, does this phrase always come up? And so I want to get into this specifically when it comes to sex, because I think mindset has a lot to do with sex and how we approach it and what those scripts are that are running when we, um, think about sex, whether you're married or not, like what are the thoughts that come up for you when you think about sex? And today I'm going to focus a little more specifically on, on those who are married, but by no means, if you're not married, like you, can you not listen to this or benefit from this? I think we have to remember at its core that sex is powerful and it is so good. And the Catholic church celebrates sex and recognizes the power it has, that it is a renewal of the wedding vows that the couple makes right? When they're married and it graces flow through sex. So this is a great place of joy, intimacy, vulnerability. And as Catholics, we see sex as a reflection of the Trinitarian love. Let that sit in. That's a pretty wild idea if you've never heard that before. Um, and John Paul II gets into this in depth in theology of the body and understanding man and woman as a noun, sex as a noun, man and woman, what does that mean? And then he also speaks to sex as a verb and what does marital intimacy, what does sex mean as a verb and the act of sex, what is it and how powerful it is for a couple and that spousal understanding of the body and the good of giving and receiving love through our bodies and how we're made for that. So we also have to recognize right in this story that we're very human and we're very much capable of having sin enter into sex very easily because of our proneness to sin, which as Catholics, we recognize as concupiscence, meaning our proneness to sin is a state we're in where we are made good. We are good, but because of original sin, our desires can go crazy really quickly. And we can tend towards sin as much as we can tend towards making good choices. And we have to recognize that in the context of when we talk about, um, especially when we talk about sex, but I mean, all things in, in our humanness and in our thought patterns, because we are human and we are fallen and God comes and redeems us. Praise be to Jesus Christ. So I want to focus today on Genesis 3.16, where God tells Adam and Eve that women and men will experience the pangs of childbirth, especially for women specifically on that note, and she will desire her husband and he will dominate her. This is, this is like essentially like the curse of sin, right? The pangs of childbirth and the pain that a woman will go through and her desire for her husband and that he will dominate her. And you may think like, desiring your husband. What's so bad about that? But I think if you take a minute and reflect on woman's desire and how quickly a, a woman's desire for a man be, can become disordered and that this isn't just for any man, but for her husband in the ways in which we tend towards a desire that can be quickly become unhealthy, right? That proneness to sin, that concupiscence where that desire of being so good can quickly get off the rails and miss the mark. 
And for husbands, the domination, right? I think we, we've we emphasized this so much more culturally, especially as of late, how um, we've seen abuse, we've seen, whether it's emotional or physical, we've, we've seen the ramifications of this um, disordered domination. Um, and, and, and honestly, is domination ever ordered? I mean, there's dominion over the animals that Adam is given, but with Eve, um, before original sin, it was a partnership and it was equal. It was help. It was helpmate, right? It, it, there was no unequal footing. So really the disordering of at its core, it's really disordered domination. So there's really nothing that great about dominating whatsoever. So let's be clear on that. And I think we've emphasized that so much, but we, we, I think have failed in some ways to emphasize what does it look like to, um, desire someone in a disordered way? Um, especially as we look at Genesis three sixteen, what does that mean for women and for, for men and seeing this play out? So we're seeing a disintegration. This ultimately what's introduced here and it has wrecked havoc on future generations, right? There's no way to avoid the possibility of disordered desire and this um, twisted domination, right? Domination, just a man not loving well, not protecting woman well, um, and using her, right? And we see women who go out of their way for it out of a desire to be loved, right? And this desire we all have as humans to be loved and not to say as a caveat that women can't do this, men can't do this, but, you know, we're looking to see that predominantly this is the struggle women have. And, and I think we need to talk more about it. And we need to be curious about it. And I'm not going to pretend here in this episode, I have all the answers. I mean, this is something that I'm exploring right now as I'm reading through Theology of the Body in my study group. And it is really opening my eyes and seeing just how deep these wounds are and just how much I've, I'm now seeing these uh, disordered ways of living and loving in film and in music and in television in new ways where I'd never, I'd blown it off, you know, like I was just like, eh, whatever. It's, it's just a movie, you know, oh, it's just Hallmark. Oh, it's just a rom-com. And, and now realizing, okay, there's actually some serious ramifications here in going back to Genesis and speaking to the fall. And what is it doing to my brain to constantly have this messaging come through too? So, you know, I think, we experience this disintegration in our own stories, you know, not just in film and in alternative realities in our books and things like that. But I think there's a relatability to it because we felt it. We felt the disorder. We felt the disintegration and the struggle for equality in the brokenness of skin of sin. And I think when we, when we hear equality, um, I'm, I'm not talking about sameness as man and woman are the same. There's no differences. I'm talking about at its foundation, man and woman are created equal and they both have dignity. They both have worth. And we also have unique and unrepeatable gifts and skills that are specific to men and women. Could there be overlap? Sure. But really the, the majority of men and women in the specific gifts that we share that John Paul II talks about in Letter to Women, given a couple of sensitivity, receptivity, um, these are specific to us and they, and they as women, they play out in different ways for us and what that looks like. That doesn't mean that women can't do certain things like, oh, run a business or be strategic or be um, someone that may be the fixer in the relationship. Um, but I think it's recognizing this deeper understanding that our differences are good in that they help us to bring out the best in each other and they help us to grow and challenge us to grow. I think that's where that helpmate really comes into play for us. So I think as we sit with these things and we try to figure out like, what does equality look like? What does it look like to be same and different at the same time? And what does it look like to honor these, these differences? We really need to understand 
the impact of this disintegration in addition to the story of redemption and mercy of Jesus Christ, because otherwise we're just kind of moving through this pain. And I think it just, it sits and it simmers and it bubbles and it explodes. And we have different movements in history, I think, where we really see that. Um, and I think the foundational awareness in this and understanding why this matters and what's going on does help us understand our mindset. Like, where do these thoughts come from? Because I think in the context of sex and men and women and our, in this desire and equality, and then also in honoring our differences that we're not like the absolute same. Um, it's, I think it really challenges us to figure out like, what is this, what does this really mean and how does it impact the way I think? And I'm starting to get redundant here. So let's keep moving forward. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go back to Margaret Sanger in the early twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. This is predominantly twenties to forties where, and fifties too, because of the development of hormonal contraception at that point where her career was really um, growing and she was really creating a movement. So she urged many women to protect themselves from their husbands. And, you know, I'm not going to like say there weren't injustices happening and the threat of domination, you know, that we saw was very prominent in a lot of relationships and laws, um, in the ways women were viewed and treated. So it, there were a lot of things going on that did not respect the dignity of women. Um, so I think the response of protection is not unreasonable, when women are feeling that their dignity is affronted, they're being disrespected, and everything in their equality is being challenged and dismissed. But her response was not good, right? It missed the mark because ultimately we were not expecting more from men and calling on their behavior and saying, okay, this domination, this is a problem, right? And so this really skewed with our desire for our husbands. And I, when I say our husbands, I'm, okay, I'm talking about previous generations of women here, but really for women, how, how much did that mess with their mindset and their love of their spouses? Because there was a sense of, I have to protect myself. This, this man does not love me, but dominates me. And so I think, you know, again, we see Genesis 3.16 playing out. There's a particular scene from Little Women. I've mentioned it before. I really love it because Amy describes the challenges of women and how marrying for love would never be an advantageous solution for her and for her future children. She talks about how marriage is really an economic proposition and she's had to come to terms with that because she will not have her own money. She won't be able to have rights to her children, to property. Um, her husband is going to be in charge of everything. And so she recognizes that she needs that security and that protection, not only for herself, but for her children. And so in that sense, she is still thinking about, you know, the, the needs of, of those future children that she may have and seeing the, just the inequality and the affront to dignity that women experience. And I think it just does a great job of encapsulating that. But I think what's important to note too, there's nuance here. I'm not saying every man was bad at this time in history or they were incapable of loving their wives. I'm sure there were beautiful marriages too. However, without an understanding of the goodness of women and the truth of scripture, a marital relationship could quickly go sideways and totally miss the mark. So I think for a woman's response to these laws and the social structures and the cultural beliefs that were that were present, through her sense of protecting her heart and her body from ache, from hurt, from abuse, I think it's possible that these beliefs impacted the very mindsets of these women and how they love their husbands and how they received their husband's love, right? If you don't trust your husband and you feel the need to protect from him, Okay, well, that's going to that's gonna dramatically shift the way in which you engage in your marital relationship. And 
this type of thinking I, has has passed down, right? This narrative has continued through feminism and the women's rights movement. And we've missed a, con a critical component that I want to just keep coming back to here that needs to be addressed, man's role and the issue of domination. We didn't address it. And I think we're, you know, we're still grappling with that now because we chose to address women's desire for her husband and the response to brokenness and guilt and shame that we may have felt from those desires and that we needed to protect ourselves from our husbands and from our desires because we recognize, okay, I'm desiring my husband, but he's just using me. And so you see this, um, this both and taking place. It's not only on the man. It's not only on the woman. It's both. It's both needing to be addressed to figure out here, okay, we need to address the domination of men's hearts and the disordered response of love. And which, you know, was more often lust and abuse than not, but lust and abuse are on a spectrum. So I, I want to make sure people understand that as we're talking about this, I'm not thinking of the most horrendous offense. I mean, it can be in the smallest ways too, but it's, a, it's against the human person. It's an injustice against the human person and experiencing that wounding in relationships. And I think, you know, we need to, we need to be able to just like let that sink in as well. And recognizing that this disordering of desire and this domination is seriously so impactful and really has created waves of so much hurt and so much brokenness. So I want to go through and, and pull out from St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. He talked about in, in the audience 33 and section six, he talked about that a man's job in particular is to protect the gift sex and to protect woman as a whole. The entirety of the gift is woman and it's fully realized in her personhood. His job is to master his desires and to protect himself against the temptation of domination. He is to see the woman in her beauty, in her glory and in her goodness and love her, not lust after her, to see her and not simply look at her, to embrace her and to not abuse her desire. So let me read this particular section. It seems that the second creation account has assigned to the man from the beginning, the function of the one who above all receives the gift. See Genesis two, verse 23. The woman has from the beginning been entrusted to his eyes, to his consciousness, to his sensibility, to his heart. He, by contrast, must in some way ensure the very process of the exchange of the gift. And this gift, not only in sex, but as of the whole person, the reciprocal inter interpenetration of giving and receiving the gift, which precisely through its reciprocity creates an authentic communion of persons. Whoa. Let that sink in. And I will include this in the show notes so you can read over it and you can save it. <laughs> okay. So in hearing that, I mean, wow, the man is not called to domination. Although that is now what is at stake post-original sin, that this can happen. And we've seen it. And we've seen just the amount of hurt and abuse that has occurred since original sin um, and injustices and an affront to women throughout history, we have also seen um, woman's response and her disordered desire. And I think, you know, just seeing how, how, how women are so desperate for, for true love. And I think truly, I think we all desire to be, protected and see the gift of ourselves protected. And when we don't, I th think we really, <laughs> we really try to protect ourselves in very disordered ways in which we 
harm ourselves more, right? I'm thinking about hormonal contraception. I'm thinking about angry responses when we feel the injustice of hurt, which isn't wrong to have a righteous anger, but what do we do with it? Do we lock ourselves away even more in our hearts even more to protect ourselves? Or do we, you know, as much as we're hurting, need to address these issues that we're seeing and expect more from men and identify these issues and these pains that we're experiencing and also making sure our desire stays ordered, right? We don't go off and have hate sex with somebody else. We don't go off and, you know, turn off our bodies and try to be like a man so we can just fit in. I mean, these are serious issues that we're talking about in which we're seeing domination and disordered desire playing out and creating so many problems for us in our relationship and understanding men and women and how we work together and how we're different. Um, and that's, it can be a separate episode here. I just want to, I want to get to the basics in this episode. Um, so I think, you know, the disordered nature of both women's desire and man's domination, it requires a solution that does address both aspects because without both, only one is going to be addressed. And then the solution is lopsided and it's going to seem unfair or unjust, you know, because in a sense it is both man and woman have to be held accountable and both men and women must be aware of their proneness to sin and the ability to negatively impact relationships, whether it's romantic or not. So I think without, if we can't shift our mindset until we see and recognize what has taken place for men and women culturally, historically, theologically, because otherwise, what, you know, where do these thoughts come from? What are we doing? What are we replacing it with? What is it that deeper healing that we need and we need to be aware of to understanding ourselves and the opposite sex? So, you know, I guess in a sense, I'm not really giving answers to mindset and sex, but really, you know, setting the foundation here and understanding, okay, this is what's at play, disordered desire and domination. And this makes sense how we may view sex with our spouse um, and in viewing it in a way that may be very limiting, very not communion of persons, very not enjoyable, not pleasurable something just to get through, um, something that you may not even want to experience, you know, whatever it may be. In the same way, there may be, may be a sense of guilt or disorder, that disordered desire coming up, right? Like I have to do this. I have to make sure I please myself. I have to, you know, and the shame that can come in and these shoulds that come up, you know, what's going on and checking ourselves as women, our, our desire, like what's happening here in my heart? Am I truly loving the person in front of me and desiring communion of our bodies, of our persons and the gift of, of each other united in sex and united in marriage, or are my desires disordered? Like, what do I need to check? And I think that's where we come back and, and looking at these tools to be able to assess, like, what are the thoughts going on? What, what are the issues with mindset that we're dealing with? Like, what are the things that we are saying in the scripts that run when it comes to sex, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to men in general, um, you know, and that's, that's why I'm, I'm hopeful, uh, those who are not married have stuck around for this because really this is a, a much bigger issue at stake, you know, and to recognize what we are navigating and where these negative mindsets and these scripts that are running come from and how we want to protect ourselves as women and the challenges that men have in wanting to love well and, and having to fight against this temptation towards domination and, and being able to protect the gift. I mean, these are really big consequences if we don't address them. And we're, we're seeing that right now. Um, we're seeing the pain, but we have an opportunity to heal. 
we have an opportunity to address this, to now know this and say, okay, I now know this. What am I going to do differently? How do I learn from this? What is what is impacting the way I'm thinking about men, about women? What are the ways in which my mindset um, has just been soaked in toxicity and soaked in negativity that I need healing? And I want to leave you with a prayer that Christopher West has shared before, and it's a beautiful, simple prayer, but it's powerful. Lord, untwist the lies and reveal the truth. So as you are listening to this and thinking about, okay, oh my gosh, like the ways in which I'm thinking about the opposite sex, about about thinking about sex, about how I am approaching my marriage, like maybe there are other issues that are coming up for you and you're thinking, wow, I have these negative thoughts about my spouse or my fiance or my boyfriend, like what's going on here? My brothers, I don't know, like there could be someone in your life that you're thinking, I have really negative thoughts around men in general, like what's going on? Where is the devil trying to keep you ensnared? Um, and where is he calling you to, um, to stay trapped? Right. And where is God calling you to be free? So to do that assessment, to run through those thoughts, to see what's going on and what can you replace it with? What's the truth? What is the truth that you can say to yourself when those thoughts come up and say, okay, I acknowledge this. Maybe it's from a place of deep hurt and deep pain. And you recognize that that's there and that there's healing there. And then what is that thought to be able to replace to say, okay, this is the truth of what I know about myself, about what I know about God, of what I know about how he created men. Um, because I think it's so needed. And I think mindset is going to mindset shift and um, replacing uh, bad thoughts with good, with truth is so important. And a place where we can start to see change in our relationships with each other and our relationships with um, you know, with sex and with different aspects of intimacy and, and how we engage with each other and how we start to recognize our equality and our differences and honoring each other and helping to, um, create, you know, the changes that we're want to seeing when it comes to relationships between men and women, when we see it in the workplace, in the home, in, in friendships and small groups, you know, wherever it may be, where are we called to make those changes? So, I'm going to leave you with that today. We can dive um, into mindset more as we continue here, but I'm so grateful that you're here. I hope this is helpful. And if you have additional questions, always feel free to reach out. I'm more than happy to continue these conversations. God bless you and have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends, and help expand the conversation around women's health. If you're loving the podcast, could you please leave a review? I want these conversations to get into the headphones of more men and women to invite them on a journey of wholeness too. Thank you so much in advance. It means so much to me. You can find more support for charting, instructor guidance, guides, courses, and more by visiting my website, www.managingyourfertility.com. You can also find me on social media at Managing Your Fertility. And don't forget to subscribe to my email list for exclusive content and weekly conversations. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time.